Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my finest friends. Welcome to episode 11 of season 5 of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I am your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. If you're listening to this on the day it's released, the timing couldn't really be any better. Um, Today, November 2nd, is the 40th anniversary of the release of Long After Dark, and you know you're getting old when 1982 doesn't really feel like it could be that long ago, which it doesn't. Uh, Today's episode focuses on the penultimate track from Long After Dark, Between Two Worlds. As always, I've left a link in the episode notes so that you can go back and listen to the track before we start, and once you've refreshed your memory, we can dig in. Between Two Worlds is the last of the four songs on Long After Dark co-written with Mike Campbell. And I sometimes wonder if Mike still has the original demo tapes that he would send to Tom with all those guitar tracks on them. I'm sure fans would be fascinated to listen to them sometime if they do exist. This song was also the second, along with We Stand a Chance, to be recorded at the old RCA studios on Sunset Boulevard in LA. And Tom tells Paul Zolo in conversations with Tom Petty that that was a totally live track. And that intro just kind of happened. It wasn't rehearsed or planned. It just happened. So this is a big departure from a song like You Got Lucky or maybe even Straight Into Darkness in that maybe the tone of the song didn't need to be cajoled as much and it wasn't overproduced. It would have been more organic in a sort of throw forward to 2010's epic mojo. Tom goes on to say that that's the kind of band we are. If you let us have our way, sometimes we can just stumble into something great. And you always get the sense that modern musicians are afforded much less time to be this spontaneous and exploratory during the recording process as songs, albums, and artists become more and more corporately steered artistically and more homogenous sonically. So that spontaneous intro to this one starts with uh, with a suspended piano bass line played underneath those A fifth and D fifth chords. And you also have Stan tinkling around on the bell of the cymbals before thudding that kick drum into action, and Mike breaking out a super tasty bluesy guitar lick. And that lick is panned way left, and then you hear Tom come in on the right channel with a sort of dirty, fuzzy tone playing across the solo and adding in a lick of his own, or a riff of his own. And Tom tells Paul Zolo, I'm playing through a very little 10-inch amp that was really overdriven, so it had this particular distortion. It also sounds at times that Tom might be using a wah pedal. When you isolate the right channel, it's definitely not just distortion. It could be could be a little bit of phase or flange, but to my ear, it sounds definitely like a, a light wah effect being applied, and it just gives this part a, you know, a little more character and a bit more grooviness. Once the main riff kicks in, the interplay between those two guitar parts is really what carries this song sonically. You still have Ben Monk keeping count on those fifth chords, but melodically, Mike's bluesier tone with more reverb combines beautifully with that buzzsaw tone that Tom is playing. And again, they're playing the same chord progression, but using different positions on the fretboard and, and different little fill notes to complement what one another is playing. And they almost always use subtly different tones, but this one is night and day different. The way that main riff rings the first chord, then chops into the second, reminds me a little bit of the Eagles one of these nights, which is, you know, it's faster, but it has a somewhat similar feel. And when Tom's vocal comes in, it too sort of has that, like a mid-70s feel to it. Um, This is the longest track on the album, and the song takes a while to get to those vocals. 16 full measures over 40 seconds, in fact. And Between Two Worlds also sees a cameo return to the band for Ron Blair on bass. 
and it's a very Blair-esque bass groove with Ron walking up and down the octaves in the chord progression and matching the rhythm of the guitar lick to sit astride the straight beat that Stan is keeping. The arrangement in the verses is pretty straightforward with the two guitars continuing that, that twin attack, the piano chiming along on the count and the bass line grooving over Stan's drums, as I said. Tom's vocal doesn't add a ton of dynamic movement, but it's a sort of sleazy kind of delivery that matches the tone of the track perfectly. And as we hit the pre-chorus, those dark, moody fifth chords give way to F major, an F major, C major progression for four bars before we drop back into that main motif of the track for the chorus. During this major key section, we then get some organ from Benmont, and the piano part switches from a sort of metronomic straight time to more closely match the kick drum pattern that Stan is playing. So that's a cool little dynamic switch to add some colour to that section of the song. And there's a glorious little ascending run that Mike plays coming out of that pre-chorus into the chorus at around the 109 mark. So go listen to that again and, and just look out for that in the left channel. It's really, really cool. Coming out of the chorus, we go back to that major key interlude for four bars, where the piano is more prominent again, and you can really hear that kick pattern being matched by both the piano, but also by both guitar parts. You then get some excellent little fills in the last bar from both Benmont and Mike before we head into verse two. There's no gap between this instrumental refrain and the next verse, with the arrangement mirroring the first verse pretty much exactly, other than Mike throwing in a couple of lead noodles after the vocal to spice things up a little bit. And the second pre-chorus is also basically the same as the first, with the subtle difference of the piano seeming to mirror the vocal melody. However, leading into that second chorus, Benmont's organ stays in the mix, and with those broody fifths and the chunky guitar sound, I almost get a flashback to Refugee for a couple of bars. We then hear Tom say something to lead into the bridge, which sounds kind of like, you guys bring it. And as I think I've said before, I love it when little things like that are left in the mix. And as this song was essentially a live take, it definitely fits the tone and the swing of the song wonderfully. The bridge to this one is strikingly different to the rest of the song. First of all, we drop to halftime. And secondly, we hear the chord progression change keys in a way that it really reminds me of George Harrison with that sort of G, D minor change and then down to C. You know, Stan keeps uh, the time on his ride cymbal and adds in plenty of tom hits to give it a sort of a bit more of a boomy bottom end. And Ron comes in with a trademark bit of playing, stepping up two octaves during those first three bars before dropping down again. And the last two bars of this bridge then change again and add in a very unusual chord progression and a rhythmic change with the organ then joining the piano to really build a crescendo into the solo as Stan bashes the kick and toms through that last bar. In that last bar, you also get some neat slides on both guitar channels before we drop back into that main chord progression with Mike playing that gorgeous clean tone with the reverb dialed right back and plenty of middle and top frequency, but not a ton of bass. The organ and piano are keeping that entire section filled out sonically and Tom's guitar is keeping that riff moving along, but adding in more of those little slides between chords. I'm not sure I'd ever listen particularly closely to Mike's solo in this one, but man, is it tight. Again, super bluesy with... Just the most immaculate phrasing and use of tremolo. We talk lots about Mike not getting maybe as much credit as he deserves as a guitarist, and this is a damn near perfect guitar solo for this song. It's mean, moody, and magnificent. The solo ends and leads back into the pre-chorus and chorus with the arrangement following the form of the previous one, and the call and response of Tom's oh yes, and the organ really being brought up in the mix. But after this chorus, we then get the icing on the cake from this song, with the bass and keys dropping out, Stan going to double time on the kick, and leaving all that room for Mike to play a chugged staccato pattern over that chord progression, building back into the chorus. We're now getting a long outro to the song, and we get something we don't hear very often in a Heartbreaker song at all, as Tom takes the solo in this section, including a brilliant drum lead guitar stab just before the vocals come back in. 
everyone's playing plenty here. And there's some really interesting percussion added in that I can't quite identify. So if you listen at the 417 mark, it's a super reverb saturated percussion thing. And it sounds almost like some sort of half muted tubular bells or something. God only knows what it is because I don't. Um, and Stan smashes around the kit, laying into the toms and the cymbals, and Tom wails, you know, some O's and scatting, and we we fade gloriously out with Benmont then ripping out a killer little piano groove. So it's a really satisfying musical end to the track. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, it's time for some petty trivia. Your question from last week was this. The fantastic 6LP Uber Deluxe Edition of the Fillmore 1997 release comes in a custom-made what? Was it A, top hat box, B, an embossed walnut record case, C, a handmade cymbal case, or D, a bespoke linen-lined hessian tote bag? And while any of these would have been a brilliant packing choice, I think, and I thought I was quite inventive with the three that aren't real, um, the answer is, of course, C. The collection is housed in a handmade, custom-sized cymbal case produced by Made Worn in LA. The set features 58 tracks on six discs, a 24-page booklet, three collectible guitar picks, a replica all-access laminate, a reprint of the eight-page fan newsletter published in 97, 10 replica set lists, an album art lithograph and an alternate colour foil lithograph, an alternate design record player mat, a playing card deck, an embroidered patch, and a replica Fillmore house band embroidered baseball hat. So it's a hell of a collection. And there's currently a contest to win one of these sets. And if you head over to my social media on Facebook and Twitter, you'll be able to find a link to that. I have my fingers crossed almost a breaking point that I'm going to win this one. I'll also be buying the 6LP Deluxe set anyway, but if I win the Uber Deluxe, maybe I'll do a giveaway on the Deluxe. So keep your fingers crossed for me. This week's trivia question is this. Not including Tom... Who was the youngest of the original Heartbreakers? Was it A, Stan Lynch, B, Ron Blair, C, Benmont Tench, or D, Mike Campbell? Alrighty, back to the song. Vocally, as I mentioned earlier, I think, Tom sits somewhere between his sort of pinched refugee delivery and his sleazier delivery on tracks like The Criminal Kind. You know, his voice is great throughout, and as always, he moves the melody line around slightly in each section just to give some different angles to the arrangement. Lyrically, this one feels like an existential crisis in some ways. There's there's conflict and doubt painted all over it, and the main theme, I know a woman's body is only flesh and bone, suggests the idea that it feels like it's much more than that before resolving into how come I can't let go. And the lead line, I'm between two worlds, could speak to any number of different contexts. The duality of desire and doubt, of love and lust, of acceptance and rejection. It's hard to pin it down well because it's one of Tom's ambiguous songs that could be somewhat autobiographical, but it feels like it's written in a a deliberately abstract way. The verses are really short lyrically with only two lines in each of the two verses and the pre-chorus and verse taking up much more of the song. The verses also seem to be somewhat disconnected from the chorus, you know, in a way. You know, there's a lot of talk about the danger zone, and there's adventure novels about taking to the road. Don't seem to have much to do with desire or anguish or rejection or whatever the themes of that chorus actually are. So I like that mysterious vagueness a lot. I also like the way that Tom doesn't rhyme those two lines in the chorus. How come I can't let go? 
and between two worlds. It's almost as if it's a question and answer in his own head. The rational and irrational battling it out for control. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. I've made no bones about the fact that I think Long After Dark is a better album than it often gets credit for, and I think this is a deep cut that can have a tendency to be overlooked. It's a really strong twin guitar performance, a really good vocal delivery, and all around just a solid, solid arrangement. I think the bridge adds a lot to the track, as does that break in the outro at the end of Tom's solo. Again, it's the longest song on the album to this point by a minute and a half, but it never feels like it's dragging at all. Just a good groove, a great riff, and given it was basically recorded live, a shining example of why this group of musicians formed such a brilliant band that was so much more than the sum of its already impressive parts. I'm going to give Between Two Worlds a rock-solid 8 out of 10. Before I wrap up, too, um, I was going to say that I'm going to get back to posting the trivia questions on social media this week. I've been a little bit busier than normal the last couple of weekends getting my new Queen podcast up and running, but the first episode of that will drop this Thursday, and I hope you'll all tune in. Um, It's called Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast, and you'll be able to find it wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, I'm doing that podcast with my best friend, Randy, who provides all the music for this podcast and is one of the people I love most in the world. Please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means. As always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I will continue to do so until this crisis is over. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Other shows on the network include Sabbath Bloody Podcast, T-Bones Prime Cuts on the other side, In the Lap of the Pods, Judas Priestcast, and the Podcast Will Rock, and Backtracks, Aerosmith Revisited, and many, many more. So go check all of those out. They're great people doing wonderful work, and we're adding new members to this uh, to this network all the time. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project, and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can find me on YouTube, and I have a new handle on YouTube, so if you go to youtube.com slash at the Tom Petty Project, you'll be brought straight to me. So go follow, like, subscribe as applicable. And again, please leave a review or a rating if you feel like doing that. If you don't, again, I just love that you listen to the podcast. So just keep listening. Um, keep talking to me on social media. Um, again, I always enjoy our conversations. And I was having a great chat tonight, actually, just before I started recording with uh, MB Donnelly, Mary Beth Donnelly, about the idea of... Um, what we were talking about was uh, Wildflowers, which had its birthday yesterday, if you're listening to this on the day of release, um, today uh, as of recording. I don't know that if I'd listened to that when it came out at the age I was, I don't know if I would have appreciated it the same way that I do now. And I think that's an interesting sort of discussion about your relation to music and how it changes as you grow and sort of relate to and empathize with the artist at the age they were at when they wrote those songs. So that's something we might dig into a little bit, and I think I might do an episode about that down the road as a, as a special episode sometime. Don't forget that the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way, and when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel first. Go to SiriusXM and go find the Tom Petty, uh, Tom Petty Radio. Um, go to TomPetty.com for official merchandise, and don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member. They are fantastic fan communities, and they are well worth hanging out in. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. 
Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about Long After Dark's final track, A Wasted Life. Bye-bye.